Guys, welcome to the podcast. Today we had Scott Marcasio on. Scott Marcasio is the CEO and co-founder of Myo Detox. If you don't know what Myo Detox is, it's a multinational lifestyle physio company, uh, future-proofing your body. Scott's a disruptor. He's an innovator. They're multinational now. They've raised venture capital. Uh, he has a ton to say, a lot of life experiences across the globe, across industries. Really enjoyed sitting down with him. I'm going to let this conversation speak for itself. Check it out. Enjoy. So we'll roll right into it here. Um, so Scott, I, I was thinking about introducing you and I was thinking about how to portray what you are and your amalgamation of like thoughts, experiences, you know, knowledge and all this type of stuff and like how to, how to sum up yourself. And I, I think that like you'd probably do a better job at it than I would for sure. But when I distilled it down, it was kind of like at the end of the day, you're a communicator, you're a master communicator, mm. translator and you can just translate thoughts and ideas and you can transmute that energy towards your team. I think based off of what I've seen from the branding, what I see that's public facing and some of the the views I've had internally with your team, it's just like you just communicate a vision very, very, very well. Hmm. And that seems to be the driving force like constantly. Of course, like, I mean, you know, I've talked to people that are, um, you know, front lines, you know, therapists and chiropractors, and then obviously the management team a little bit. And that's, across the board like what makes Scott special just communication communicating vision hmm. um, what's the vision you're trying to communicate to your team at Myo Detox because they all, they're all very clear <clears throat> on it but so is, yeah. I think the key comes down to like understanding w- what someone's personal vision is and how you link that back to the overall Myo Detox mission because I think everyone sees the company in a little bit of a different lens and even for Vin and I like my co-founder you know, when we started this thing, I think his vision was to become like, uh, you know, the highest quality um, therapy product and, you know, which we're well on the way. But for me, my vision was, can we create a vehicle for personal development? Right. So that's what it always comes back to is people always seeing themselves like in that next role. And some something that's been really helpful to build up the vision is like having guys like Nick and having guys like Andrew, people that have like been so far down the path. So you have a guy like Kurt, you talked to this morning, like he, he sees that vision. He sees like the next version of himself in the company already. Mm. So he can move towards that. And, you know, in, in, from a business strategy and, and vision standpoint, um, I do think we have a huge opportunity to really change the conversation of like how people take care of their bodies and just how they think about that. Mm. Um, and moving from very reactive, uninformed, uh, people to all of a sudden really having the average person understand a lot about their body and what they need to do to take care of it over the long haul. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like the macro vision. But um, how I think about my leadership style, it's all about just taking the person that's in front of me and understanding like what's the next level for them, right? Because if I'm talking to you know a new grad that's one year out of school, that's had no real work experience, no potentially no real life experience, um, you know, it's a different conversation than when I'm dealing with. You know, potential executive hire that's been you know 10 years deep went to business school you know has a finance background it's just there's a very uh there's a potential everyone has in their own mind and you know you have to meet them where they are mm-hmm. so. so do you ever correct people and that you you have new hires come on or you have people that you're interviewing for your spots and like well this is the next iteration of myself and you're like well 
maybe that's not the best iteration of yourself. Have you, could you re-envision your vision for yourself? Do you ever recraft that at all? Or do people just come to you and say, hey, listen, you know, I want to align my values, my purpose, my experience mm. with this company. And this is what I think my, you know, values and experience and where I want my journey to go. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the company, you're like, hey, well, I need, I love this person and their tangible skills, but I, I need to change their, <laughs> change their purpose at all. Does that ever happen? So I, I always just go back to like, how do humans learn? Humans are social animals, mm-hmm. and I, I'm very big on what I'll call nudges. Oh. So this is more like a psychology principle, but people don't change when you tell them to change. They change because they've either been inspired or they've been put in a group setting where it starts to shift their behavior. Mm-hmm. So I just think a lot about like behavioral psychology and think about how groups make decisions and how culture forms. Like I think a lot of people talk about culture, but don't don't really have a clear understanding of how you shift culture. I don't know what that means. Like, I, honestly, like, yeah, that, it's that, just word, like that word culture. People talk like, about it all the time. And it's such a buzzword. But to me, mean? is like culture is essentially the collective decision making and behaviors of a, of a group to me. Okay. And, you know, when I t- take someone like Kurt and you bring him into a group with Andrew, Nick, uh, Kevin, all these guys that we have been making decisions together towards a common goal for, you know, multiple years now, he gets sucked into that. And no matter what his vision was at the outset, when he's in that, just based on how humans learn and how we fit in tribes socially, you start to shift your behavior and you start to change your vision as well. So what I like to do is like, I wanna hear someone's vision and hear where they are, but I realize like, you know, just like myself, we all have blind spots. And I think a lot of us hold ourselves back from what we actually are capable of. Mm -hmm. So it's more, subtle than that. I think there's a lot of nuances to leadership that, uh, you know, if you're reading articles on HBR or Forbes.com, it really misses the mark. Right. Um, so, but I, I think what is exciting about us is, you know, as a company, what I'm very proud of is like, there's somebody in the company that can connect with everyone, like from a leadership standpoint. And that's step one to starting to change behavior and like getting people thinking bigger. It's, you know, you have to meet them where they are and they're going to have a a vision based on all the experiences they've accumulated up until present day, um, but they haven't been exposed to our culture yet. Mm. And then when that happens, like I see it within eight weeks, like there was a guest experience coordinator. So one of our front desk team members in Chinatown, I was there last night, I was talking to him and he's been with us for eight weeks. And he's already (laughs) telling me like how much he's learned, how much he's shifted, how he thinks about certain things. I'm like, this is sick. It's because he came in contact with our culture, Mm -hmm. right? And that all those nudges and those like behavioral signals start to like shift that vision for him and what he sees himself becoming. So would you call them the the receptionist basically but you use a different word you said uh, customer service uh, experience oh, uh, guest experience coordinator guest experience yeah. coordinator love it yeah um culture right yeah there you go. so like our center. our kind of front of house managers are called our guest experience managers aka gems uh, um, so we really focus on you know building out that hospitality framework because you know in of course in healthcare, that's never front and center, but absolutely not. No, I mean, listen, I've been injured most of my life and, and gone to a lot of physio spots and, and the experience is never good. You don't, you don't want to go to physio. Physio is not a thing that you enjoy. It's a thing that's like going to the dentist. You have to deal with your problems. You have to clean your teeth. You have to take that cavity filled. Totally. You're not excited about it. Um, so having that, uh, you know, that customer experience front and center, very important. I want to go back to the, to the organizational leadership part mm. there. You, in a situation like with these gems, by the way, was that intentional? Yeah. The, no, of course it was. It was. <laughs> Obviously. With these gems, you talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of like one-to-one relationships with within the company and, you know, people seeing the next iteration of themselves and personal development, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But how do you motivate in that position? Mm. Because if you're if you're a chiropractor or a therapist and you want to think about management or you want to think about you know uh, moving up um, or laterally or however it is, it's very easy. It's very easy to see those things. But when you're you're kind of front of desk, I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork and and, and things mm. of that nature that you know it's hard to see the next iteration of yourself when you're in that position. How do you motivate that position? Because someone argue that that is the most important position in your entire organization is mm. that first point of contact with the with the uh, with the consumer. But that being said, it's also maybe the from my point of view the hardest person to motivate mm. and to really get to buy into the overall vision when it is maybe one of the lower steps on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a, f- a few points to that. One is you know, just because of the growth of experience, I can point to three people on our corporate team specifically that actually started from like that level. Oh, wow. And, you know, there was a very clear trajectory where they now have full-time corporate jobs, both in Toronto and Vancouver. Um, so there is actually a path forward to them mm. becoming more than that. And a lot of organizations does not. Right. And that's, you know, that is both the, uh, one of the biggest challenges with being kind of a mom and pop operator and having one location, no real growth trajectory is if you're trying to hire millennials, there's there's this ambition and motivation to like keep moving up and even we deal with that too like people want to move so fast and not really put the work in or you know really pay the price and you have to mediate expectations but in that role specifically if you can have some stories to show people like what's next for them that gets them over the finish line i think number two is uh and i'm by far not the best at this so our director of ops uh you met earlier, Alice. Oh, yeah. Gross with. She, um, she actually opened the Soul Cycle region for Toronto, and right. she's incredible at driving like front of house culture and having really developing people and having a clear development plan for them. Um, and I think that leads into this last piece is as that culture grows and we start to attract the right hires, you don't actually have to motivate people too much. Like if you get the right person in that role, um, they're going to you know, t- take the behaviors that you want them to. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of traditional management philosophy is like, oh, you have to constantly be motivating people. But sure. to me, it's like higher motivated people. Right. Hiring becomes the, the biggest piece of the puzzle. Hiring and filtering for culture fit. Yeah. How quickly does it take you to realize that someone's not a good fit within your organization? From on the corporate team personally, like 30 days. 30 days. Yeah, I actually don't get involved in too much hiring and interviewing. I'm the worst. It's my least favorite part of Is the business. Really? Oh my gosh. Because I make up my mind so quickly. <laughs> and I like this person. I don't like this person. So I think, and this is advice for a lot of new managers, when you're younger and you haven't let a lot of people go or gone through a lot of those hard conversations, sure. you will give people the benefit of the doubt over and over and over and over again. And then you find yourself a year in with the wrong person in the job. It's a disservice to them because they're not going to develop further in your company you've now wasted a lot of time and effort developing and investing in that person. Um, it starts to potentially be poison in the business if you have the wrong person there. So something I've had to learn over my career is making the hard decisions when it's there and, it, and really pushing myself to do it faster, hmm. right? If someone on the corporate team isn't a fit, like they won't make it past the 90 day mark. And if they do, then we've really committed as an organization to investing in them over the long term. Right. So it's, but it's, it's a challenge and it's a challenge. I think it's a discipline of becoming a better manager. So sure. It's, it's relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. Um, it's not, it's, it's personal. It's not business, but it is strictly business. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a really hard thing to do. You guys have created this, um, uh, th- one of your upper management said it, um, uh, a culture of criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something that we very much subscribe to ourselves in, in my own personal life as well. And I, I find that A types are like that, uh, mm. alpha types are like that, where it's very much like, I, I don't need, I understand this, you're trying to make me better, I just need the criticism, let's cut the fluff and let's get to it. Right. Um, however, you're working in a space that's, it's a hospitality space, it really mm -hmm. is. Um, you need caring, empathetic, compassionate people. In my experience, those people are not necessarily the alphas. They're, they're, they're people that don't need to be at the front of the spotlight. And they are communicated to differently um, than, say, the alphas. Mm -hmm. um, and they're more effective in different ways. When you have this culture of criticism and you continually to try to push this like, you know, radical truth and, and transparency, how does that work with people that don't that necessarily that need that padding and kind of need to be pushed along the way? How do you mm. communicate with them? Because I see on your team you have a variety of people there, and for me personally, communicating to those those different types of people is extremely freaking difficult mm. because we work really well one way, but you know when I, when when I try to go to you know to someone who's a B C D or whatever it is, and there's no ranking there, mm -hmm. but that's that's you know A to A is great. Other than that, I fall off. Mm. So, question for you. Why do you think you're a type A personality? Because I cut the bullshit. Mm -hmm. that, that I'm a cut the bullshit type person. Um, and I, I'm going to go for it. Mm. I'm, I'm just simply going to go for it. There's uh, fear of failure is minimized. Mm. Um, and I want to expedite and be as efficient as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm. And that generally puts you at the front of the line, which will generally classify as you an A type. I think I made all that up on the spot. That's <laughs> <a> good answer. <laughs> like <I laughs> so again, it's just like the nuances of leadership change as your team starts developing. Like we've almost got 200 people now. And sure. so the one of the challenges with traditional management advice is, you know, call them type A people writing this is like, it's a very like masculine energy and like forcing stuff to get done. Sure. And when you start to build out a team, especially in healthcare, which is predominantly female, you have to understand like, Yes, we're ambitious and we're going here. Um, but even back to your term of like the culture of criticism, I just look at it as we all need feedback to develop. If everyone gets leveled on that and understands like there's going to be feedback loops and it's not unexpected, that's like point one. Number two is you have to build trust, right? If you, if you and I have a great trusting relationship, you can tell me straight up things and I, I won't get emotionally defensive about it. So the problem with the word criticism is it comes from this place of... Uh, I don't want to say maliciousness, but it comes from more of like a judge, a judgment place. Okay. And one of the keys, if you think of, um, actually, I'll go down that story in a sec. Uh, one of the keys is you can't shift someone's behavior if you're judging them, or it becomes a lot more resistant. You have to, back to that point of like you need to meet them where you are. And the problem with that like type A energy, you're like forcing something from go to A to B, but that's not how people change, and that's not how you actually like drive good leadership. So. The key is like, number one, as a leader, you need to build trusting relationships and your, you know, whoever's reporting to you needs to really understand you're coming from the best place of supporting and helping them. I can give very transparent, direct feedback to you know, the, the people that work directly with me. Um, and I'm very intense. Like I move fast and I, I expect high things and of we, course. you know, we're trying to you know, really shift the industry. So we're, we're going fast, but people don't take offense to it because it delivered from like, Hey, let's get you to the next level. Mm. And so I, I don't know if the culture of criticism is the right term, but you know, you need to build this environment and also back to that uh, piece around culture that we talked about and humans being social animals. And when everybody sees feedback being delivered across the table to anyone, even for me, like I want feedback, I want, you know, call it criticism um, because that's how I develop as a leader. And I, I think we've really tried to frame internally that feedback is a gift. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the most important thing because we all have blind spots and we all need that feedback to become better leaders and managers, et cetera. Absolutely. Finding, finding people that will do that mm. and give you that feedback, has that been challenging for you? You personally you're, or for the company? For yeah. you personally. You're, you're an intimidating figure. You're, you're mm. someone who has moved very quickly through an industry that is very old school and very traditional. I hesitate to use the word disruptor, mm. but like innovator, for instance. Like mm. you're just, you're changing, you're changing this. I wouldn't say that you're, you're flipping the model on its head, right. but you're doing something very different. So coming up to you, if I'm, you know, a new therapist or new uh, chiropractor or, you know, anyone, new management, like I'm going to be intimidated. How do you break that? How do you. So look, doors? there's always going to be a level of that. And that's just because the role I'm in, like there's always going to be this disconnect of me and a lot of the store level teams where. I'm, you know, I'm always going to get their best behavior. I'm always going to get the smiles. Everything's right. great. Um, but that's where having great management team and a great, uh, you know, leaders in every clinic helps you really understand the full story. Um, and I think the thing that I do a lot that helps is I just sit and think a lot <laughs> and <laughs> I spend a lot of time like journaling and reflecting and just thinking about interactions and what worked, what didn't work. And it also comes from, a t- uh, I think, a place of, like, when you think about the ego, like, I don't really care how far we go with Mighty Talks. Like, I hope and, I, you know, I expect we're going to make huge waves, but, like, my self-identity and self-esteem isn't really linked to it. So when I'm, when I'm actually soliciting feedback, which is a big thing I have to do, like, I ask and I, I try to assess from, like, every level, like, what's working, what's not working. Um, I think people see that once they've delivered to me once and they see me change my behavior immediately... It, it starts to become this this feed forward loop where reinforcing yeah, yeah they're not getting in trouble they're not mm-hmm. you know it wasn't a scary conversation it was like oh we both came out of that feeling really good and now we're moving even faster as a team right. so it's it's how do you form habits of people delivering feedback but it all starts with trust until you like built trust as a team you're not going to get the real conversation mm-hmm. um, and that's why having clear managers through the organization because even Nick, you know, Nick's an incredible leader and manager of people, but for the average clinic that has a team of eight to 10 therapists plus a clinic director, like that's, that's a little tribe. Totally. Right. And there's going to be like a level of trust there that as soon as they go out of those four walls, it's like a different tribe in a sense. We Mm -hmm. all try to play on the same team, obviously, and we're all waving the same flag, but it's just, it's social dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that's been a big advantage to me in my leadership style is I'm I try to be really thoughtful around that. And I also understand the limitations of that. I understand the limitations of trust and where I'm going to have to either rely on that clinic director to give me the full story. Mm. Um, but that's it. And I think, uh, you know, my co-founder Vin and I, like when we first started the first year, one of the books we both read was 48 laws of power. And wow. one of the, one of the classical classical reads, but one of the big lessons in there is just understanding like how often people will put a mask up for you. Oh my gosh. All the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So th- that leads me perfect in my, into my next question yeah. here where it's like when you're young from, from a young person's perspective and, mm. and you are fairly young in the grand scheme of things mm. here, like because of lack of not necessarily knowledge, but experience, like actually walking on the fire right. and actually getting burned. Um, when you are so, when you have such a lack of experience, you kind of go into situations where you're like, 
I don't even know what the right smoke screen is to put up here. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try to, because I'm egocentric at this point, I haven't fully developed my self-identity, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to try for this thing that I think works right based on this group of people. And this is going to, you know, give my, um, this is going to craft my identity within this tribe, et cetera, et cetera. How do you deal with young people in that situation? You're hiring therapists that are 23, 24, um, complicated and confusing time in life. Um, mm. Identity hasn't fully been formed. We fully we don't understand the world um, yet. Just simply not because we're ignorant, but just because we haven't yeah, had the not time. Not enough reference experience. Exactly. Yeah. We don't. I don't know. You know, up from down, north from south. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you have those conversations with those young people that you know what they're going through? You understand that, especially when it comes to identity or social dynamic, etc., cetera, mm. etc. Cetera. How do you pose it to them? How do you break through to them and say, "Hey, listen. Here's the way you should." think about xyz how do you really communicate to them so a it's a process like they're not going to get it right now they're probably not going to get it right in three years right it's just like are they continually moving down the path of gathering more social experiences and you know sharpening their emotional intelligence right um so i think number one is it's exposing them to situations where they have to express that um and i think something that we've been really thoughtful around in building how we meet with this as a team, as we communicate, even throughout the organization, it's like trying to be as transparent as possible and, and show people. I think a lot of people when they, they join. So for example, we just picked up a pretty senior corporate hire and like some of his first feedback to me after a few weeks in the the company was, he's like, I just, there's like a level of communication here that I've never been exposed to. And he's had, you know, a decade plus in corporate across multiple companies. Um, and it's, that was a really, you know, Mm-hmm. nice thing to hear it's just and that's something I think both Nick and I really strive for is um, it just comes back to like leading by example and you need to you know not be a, as a leader you need to like push people to where they're uncomfortable to have conversations sometimes because humans are just avoidant creatures and a lot of younger you know coming out of school one two years of work experience they haven't necessarily been pushed in a way to like have to really reflect on their own behavior Mm-hmm. and reflect on their own interactions. So, yeah, I just think a lot about, you know, continually putting people in positions where, you know, they feel like they have a lot on their plate and seeing how they react to that. And uh, through that, you can just keep having those debrief conversations with them and reflecting with them and just getting in, them in the habit of, you know, div- I, I'd say the core skill is like developing self-awareness. Hmm. E- easier said than done. Yeah. Right. Really easier said than done. I mean, as a young person who's, you know, been told that from, you know, different standpoints, things like, you know, having gone through, here's the thing, mm. when you're young, it's like you, you, you feel as if you've been through hardship and you mm. feel as if you've seen a lot of things. Oh, and I, and I put it in my years in school and da, 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 da. And now I'm here. I've mm. arrived. I, I'm, I'm, I, there's a sense of entitlement in a sense, you know, like, okay, you need to, um, cut your teeth more or you need to, um, be more self-aware. These are things that we can tangibly see and identify in others and we can see out in the universe inwardly next to impossible. Mm. Um, How do you hold up a mirror and say, this is why you're not self-aware or this is how you can become self-aware? Because this is like, again, it's a word like culture. I don't, I understand conceptually kind of, but I don't actually know what that means. I don't actually know how to improve it. I don't actually know how to work on it. How do you work on self-awareness? So a few things. One is like going through hardships is the single biggest focuser, sure. like teaching you like what you're made of and who you are and how you're going to react in situations. And you know, when I think of uh, 
the team that first came together with my talks, we all had something like really to overcome. So for myself personally, my mom passed away when I was 13 years old. Um, she was late thirties, just had an aneurysm like two days after Christmas. And later that day was, we had to take off life support. I'm 13 years old, 11 year old sister, my dad who had just started a new business at the time. And that was, that was it. And having to go through that experience and overcome and just like think about that narrative through my teens, I started to get very reflective and philosophical. Like in my teens, I started meditating when I was 15. And that, that generated a lot of self-awareness for me. Um, I take my co-founder, Vin. He had a tumor in his neck when he was in his early 20s that almost killed him. He had to have surgery, um, like high chance of not even being able to speak because of the surgery um, and went on to become like an amazing singer. And so he, um, you know, we, the number one focuser for, for developing self-awareness is, is absolutely hardship. And I think that because it makes you reflect and it makes you think about, you know, what you just went through. And I think a lot of people start to they take those hardships into their narrative of, of who they are and start to get more of a uh, stable sense of self, mm-hmm. I would say. And that, that's really what re- is required. Like as you go through your 20s, um, and I think we as an organization, like, we're patient with this. Like we understand a lot of the people coming into our team they're going to change dramatically over the next five years. And the best we can do is give them the right leaders and mentors and training to understand that it's a process. That's not the, that's not the answer that we want to hear. Right. It's, it's, it's the, well, it's going to take a long time. It's going to be hard, Mm -hmm. but we're going to try to guide you in the right way. I know I'm as you know, an athlete or former athlete, it's, it's, you go to the gym, you get results. Yeah. Can you, where, where's the gym for self-awareness? Mm-hmm. There's no gym, right? Mm-hmm. You need to find, the, the, the gym is everywhere and anywhere. Um, so live in that space. Yeah. When it comes back to, um, to hardship, I think um, I have a conversation. I think a lot about parenting, which is really, really weird. I'm not mm-hmm. like, I'm just, I'm interested in the process of it. Right. Uh, I'm not like trying to have kids or anything like that. Um, but I just, I think a lot about building people and, and mm. growing it's very very interesting to me um i have a brother who's you know um uh, done well for himself and you know he came up very very poor and, and mm-hmm. underprivileged and <clears throat> he talks all about it all the time about my kids are amazing they're intelligent they're compassionate um but they've never experienced hardship hmm. and i don't know how to give it to them um dude i worry about that too right like how, do, how do you harden up your kids how do you harden up your kids <laughs> But I mean, so, I mean, there's that, but then it's how do you, how do you harden up your employees? Right. So the question becomes, do you believe in artificial hardship? Mm. Do you think we can create that? Do you think you as a, uh, as a CEO can create that within your company? Mm. Because in a way you, you want it to be a roller coaster ride mm-hmm. as much as you want the business to go smoothly and everything to run, you know, n- new locations, new locations, new locations, you need failure. Mm-hmm. But how can you push that? How can, I mean, in a child, it's maybe a little bit easier to create artificial hardship in a company. I, that's a challenge. Do you need to even? So yes, yes, you need to, but it just happened. Like, you don't need to try. You don't, we don't need to try. <laughs> Trust me, we have lots of hardships. Right. That's, I, but that's a function of going, pushing as hard as we are and pushing as fast as we are. Right. Almost everyone on the team has expressed to me multiple times that either they feel overwhelmed or they've got a lot on their plate or they feel like they can't keep up. Right. And like, I feel like that sometimes. Like we are, as a team, there's like this momentum building and I think to me, like the types of people we attract, they want to sprint a little faster to keep up. Right. And, but they're going to take some hits doing that. And, um, you know, it's just part of the journey. And I, I look back to building this thing, like I've wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars, burned relationships, like 
definitely lost some of my health at some point. Um, it has been like brutal. And then the fun thing was though, I actually kept journal entries through like, up wow. of, you know, we started this like four and a half years ago. And since then I've kept journal entries and I, you know, I can look back to two and a half years ago. And I'm like, damn, that was like a dark summer. And you know, it's, it's going to get easier. Like as, as the business becomes more stable, I still think we probably have another year and a half to two years to get there. It's going to be harder to drive that feeling of like pressure and hardship into the business. Um, but I also don't know if we need it as much at that point. Um, but at this point it feels almost like a pressure cooker. Like when people come into the company, like Nick's an entrepreneur, Andrew's an entrepreneur, Vin's an entrepreneur, like something very unique about our management team is almost all of us have been like business owners and entrepreneurs. And we all just like work like crazy. Mm -hmm. We love the grind and we really try to actually like celebrate the hard work. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been one of the challenges with hiring is because sometimes come in the corporate team, people join the corporate team and they look around and we're like on from like seven, 8 AM till midnight plus. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it creates a feeling of pressure. Like, do I need to do this? And mm -hmm. that's not the intention. That's just like, we're just being who we are and loving it. But mm -hmm. we're just at this stage of the company right now where I think a lot of that, that pressure to grow and like the adversity it's, it's happening naturally. I'm unsure, you know, as we get further down this pathway, how to keep that, uh, that I'd say positive pressure on people to continue to develop themselves. But mm -hmm. you know, at this point it seems like it's, it's working <laughs> it's as there. intended. Yeah. It's there. Geez. So many ways to go off that. Um, you have been very lucky is the wrong word. Fortunate. It's also the wrong word. Mm. You've put yourself in a really good position to partner with some, some behemoth global brands, whether mm. it's SoulCycle, Nike, Lulu, Equinox, yep. um, you name it. Um, they are companies that have really nailed that last part. So you just said that, you know, in these early stages, there's a sense of urgency where you're like, no, no, no we're disrupting an industry. We, we need to move quickly. We're changing lives. We're, it's a personal development company in mm -hmm. a sense. And, and people get very excited at the, the pace there. You can, you can push the narrative of sprinting very, very easily. It makes sense. It mm -hmm. makes tangible sense. What these companies that you partner with have done very beautifully is transition to the next stage of that where like these are some of the biggest companies in the world, mm -hmm. um, yet they feel that same urgency. Mm -hmm. They feel that, they, that that culture is still there, that narrative is still that still lives within. The greatest um, marketing and branding school in the world is, is, is in Portland, Oregon, and, and, and you're not going to find a better one ever, mm -hmm. um, in my opinion. So it's like they have still found a way to push those narratives better than anybody mm -hmm. um, and motivate everyone from the intern that just got a job, you know, somewhere that turned into um, Maverick. What's his name? Oh, my God. Maverick Carter, mm -hmm. you know, that, that turns into there. They've they've killed that entire process. What notes have you taken from them in terms of the next leg mm. of your journey? So the first thing I'll say is like, I've been very fortunate to be able to look inside of a lot of those companies and like it's the brand perception is one thing and then like the employee journey internal to those companies is different. Mm. And they end up because of the size and you know stability, I, I do think it's a different phase and I think it's very challenging. Um, people go to those companies now to learn. Right. But they're they're repping a playbook, right? SoulCycle when they open their 87th location, that's a very clear playbook of what they need to run. The manager needs to do this. The assistant manager needs to do this. And it doesn't, it doesn't create room for failure in a sense. Mm. So I just, I do think that there's different phases to company building. And we're in this disruption phase where there is a lot of decisions that have to be made. A lot of ways we can fail, learn, we'll call it. Um, 
and that that puts pressure on the teams because you know making decisions when the way is not clear is how you develop leadership skills and management skills but you go into a company like um, a soul cycle or an equinox you know or a nike and a corporate team and there's a lot of the path that's already been been set out for you uh, and i'm great friends with a lot of internal people at all those companies so i've, I've been able to have that like feet on the ground this is how mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. so i'm unsure I, I do think that you know from this phase we're going to graduate more into i will say a stable vehicle for personal development yeah. right now it's I don't want to say frantic, but it's intense. There, it's, it is a pressure cooker and people come with the other side like really leveled up, yeah. right? And there's a point at which as we scale, I don't think it's uh, necessarily the goal to be putting as much uh, impetus on people. Like I want people to have, I would say, a healthier and more stable trajectory through the company mm-hmm. where there's, for example, more clear um, growth plans like if you work as a therapist for X years you know you can sure. get up to this level and this level and right now because we're moving so fast we're you know I always use the analogy that we're building the plane as we're trying to fly it yep. and you know it's a, it's a different level of growth and personal development that comes from this phase than when we're 50 clinics deep you know not mm-hmm. trying to necessarily open a new country or a new region and it just becomes more of like a playbook that mm-hmm. we follow mm-hmm. and i think there's different people that will be attracted to the company as we get into that phase as well right because people may say they see the company right now and be like it's like too intense and it's like too startup-y yeah. in a sense so i think along the journey there's going to be uh, a change in the company i think we still are you know two plus years away from that stable growth period but uh yeah it's been I, something I think about a lot is like how do you how do you create the right sort of adversity? Mm-hmm. I also do think though we are attracting the right type of um, just through the culture dynamic. We we attract the right type of person. Something I'm very very proud of is like the percentage of our team that's second generation immigrants is extremely high. And other than myself, like on our entire management team, um, I think every single person is a second gen immigrant. And mm-hmm. to me, that creates this like fabric of diversity and you know it's always i see all this stuff in the news constantly around like oh we added a woman to the board or we added uh you know (laughs) we added a person of color to the board and it's like we've built this company that's like the fabric of who we are especially being in toronto vancouver canada like we're just a very diverse group Mm -hmm. and i think over time what will be a big separator differentiator for the company is like we will continue to attract people that have a chip on their shoulder and have high work ethic and feel like they need a vehicle to go out and help, you know, prove to the world who they are. And uh, I've been very just super satisfied with like the type of person we're attracting right now and being able to give people great opportunities to develop themselves. So As the company grows and becomes into a more stable um, entity, mm. do you feel as if you're going to attract a different breed of person that will not serve you as well? Because like you said yourself, you are a pressure cooker. Mm. You, you have this um, amazing branding and culture that attracts this person that is going to work very, very well for your current business model. Mm-hmm. Um, companies lose the soul when mm-hmm. they get to a certain market cap. Mm-hmm. I mean, as our public, but um, when they get to a certain size, they lose the soul because they start attracting people that want that, you know, want different things than mm-hmm. what got you to that period. Are you afraid of that? Or how are you going to deal with that? I just think it's the the cycle of building a company yeah right like i feel very confident in the ceo seat right now but at a certain size of the company like i will not be the right person for that role so this isn't like i'm trying to do this for the next 50 years 
right? I, I'm really shepherding this at this point in time and I feel like the group of personalities and everything I've, I've put together right now is like what we need to do to get this to escape velocity, right? And yeah. it's, it's a heavy lift. Like this consumes like, dude, you know how badly like I want to get a dog right now? Like I have had <laughs> dogs my whole life up until like 22, 23 years old. Yeah. And like my, like I just want to get a German Shepherd again and like have a dog and, and like, walk it and walk it. <laughs> right. But like I have to really make sacrifices right now with my life yeah. around like I can't have kids right now. I can't have dogs right now. And I, I could, but it would just slow down the amount of time and effort and energy that I can do. And like, it's a heavy push right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So as we get to a more stable company, I, I just think like we are able to serve more people as the company becomes more stable. And I think that does greater good in, in the big picture, but it's just, you know, I don't want to fight against reality here and companies change over time. Cultures change every six months. I can look back and be like the culture changed in the company. Right. And I don't think it's a good or a bad thing or something to judge. It's just the, mm. the natural way of things. Yeah. The, the natural, um, cycle yep. life cycle of things. There's, um, that's incredible self-awareness by yourself there where it's like, Bridgewater, for instance, Ray Dalio, mm-hmm. right? He recently, um, or he's kind of come back a little bit, but he, there was a point there, or Bill Gates at Microsoft, where like, I'm not the best person to be running this ship anymore. I know mm-hmm. I built it. I know I took it through its, you know, a lot of stages, but I'm not the best person for this now, for the right. betterment of the company and the world. Yeah. Um, I'm going to step down. That's, that's I, I mean, that's like losing a fucking kid. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like saying, that's like saying, no, you're, you're on your own now, go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's crazy. So that amount of self-awareness is is probably pretty hard to achieve and get your ego around again like not not identifying your your identity to Mayo is something that like strikes me mm. um, it's a criticism I have of a lot of people is that it, you go up at a networking event and you meet someone and it's what's the first question what do you do mm-hmm. um, and it's it, it shouldn't be that no, it should be it, like who are you who are you it should be who yeah. are you what's your story where yeah. are you from like what has shaped you? Yeah. Um, what are you passionate about? Like, it should not be where do you work? And because we have that, it's just like, dude. And especially because of social media, like people have such a one-dimensional story about themselves, oh and it, it just starts to like reinforce the more you put out. And like, I'm not super active on social just because I find it a little challenging to like constantly try to. It's this pressure to try to show all these dimensions of yourself in a format that is limited very limited and yes. very one-dimensional in, in mm-hmm. many regards so i totally agree it's just it's uh i meet a lot of entrepreneurs and founders and ceos and i'm fortunate i get to shake a lot of hands and it, it strikes me how many people have a uh, a real like it, it just feels like their self-identity is so tied into the company that they're on this emotional roller coaster and as it should be i think the first like two to three years when you're getting something off the ground like you need to become your company that's just the facts and why so many people don't make it is they don't commit to it. Right. Right. But the reality is like, once you start to really start to build out your team, the healthiest version of leadership is when you can get your ego out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, um, just really wrap themselves into like the trappings of success. We'll say of like, sure. Oh, I have a watch and then, you know, I've got this car and all that stuff. And it just keeps reinforcing this identity that you're like this CEO or business person, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, I think a very painful game to lose if you play that way. And Ooh, yeah, yeah. A painful game to lose. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, linguistics are very important. Uh, I am a CEO, so I don't do this. Mm. I am, um, I am not an active person, so I don't run. 
Um, I am upper level management, so no, I'm not gonna sweep the floors. Like that's ridiculous. That I am narrative kind of like very, very much puts you in a box. Mm. Um, so that's something. But something I'm a little bit more interested in, I think, is maybe paramount to how you've grown is you not identifying with your company is very rare. Mm-hmm. It's very, very, very rare. Um, if your identity is not Maya, which by the way is a sick identity, like no one's saying like, Oh no, you shouldn't be that. That's not a good thing to yeah. do. Like Dude, I, have, the, I have so much pride in what we've exactly. Built. Like right. it's not a, you're not a, the CEO of some like oil company or something like that. It's yeah. not like, yeah, it's not that. So if your identity is not that, what is your identity? How do you craft it? And why is it that? Dude, just me. <laughs> I just think when you when you can just be ambiguous and it doesn't fucking matter, right. like you're good. You can just enjoy and like flow with it. And yeah. for me, especially like my late teens or the twenties after my mom passed away, like I had such severe depression. Like I've got notebooks when I was like eighteen, like pros and cons of committing suicide, shit. and like just going through all that shit. And like you're so rigid and you know, a bit of a tangent here, but uh, I think a lot about, um, so my, my background, like what I love to study is like neuroscience in the brain and just thinking about- Psychology major, right? Psychology major. And um, when you think about like depression and anxiety, they're both actually the same condition around like rigidity of thinking, right? Depression is um, regret about the past and like repeated thinking about the past and anxiety is regret about the future. That doesn't make sense. But yeah, I understand what you're saying, but regret about the future. That's a hard, that's a hard, you're anticipating. Yeah. It's a hard concept to wrap your mind around, but you know, it can be boiled back into like a very repetitive mindset where you're thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. And I just think through the leadership journey, especially as you go through a lot of hardships and you realize like, no, there's no obstacle that sunk me yet. Like you start to just get a lot more comfortable just like rolling with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at like the first two, three years of Mayo and I needed like everything was super rigid. Project management, task list. I was trying to like force my creatives into to like, you know, make sure everything's up to date at the end of the day. I know you guys love that, right? And you have like, <laughs> right? So for me, it's just like, it's been a really interesting especially the last two years, like being able to come through a lot of the earlier fires of just like getting this thing off the ground and realizing, you know, you can just trust your instincts and I don't have to over plan and I don't have to like set hundreds of goals. And it's just like, we've got the direction. We're gonna like, we'll get there. It's gonna be a little bit of zigzag to get there, but it's made me such an effective leader now, I think, especially compared to a couple of years ago where I was just so rigid. And um, so your, your question was around like self-identity and who I am and it's just, you know, I actually work very actively of just not trying to box myself in that much. And like the other couple of weekends ago, I was with my girlfriend and we were, uh, she's in, like an awesome painter. She's really good at painting. I, I, in my head, I always have this narrative, like I'm the worst artist in the world. I can't draw to save my life. Sure. So I've actually been intentionally doing stuff that I suck at just to say like, it's a skill. I can yeah. get better at it. Yeah. Right. Like I just started surfing and you know, luckily because I snowboarded for a long time, I'm actually really solid at it, but I kept myself from doing it for a long time because I'm like, Oh, I hear it's really hard. Yeah, totally. Right? So it's how often we keep ourselves from like exploring and trying new things because we're so stuck in, Oh, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Fluidity is very important. Like mm. ambiguity, ambiguity, ambiguity. How's that word? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, ridiculous. Um, 
it's malleability as well. Like, right. you, you know, you can throw yourself in any situation. You can figure it out because you trust your instincts. You trust yourself. You have this, you know, very high self-awareness and, mm. and your identity is solid. Even though you, can, you can't describe it to anyone, you know who you are and you know what you stand for and you know how, you know, how you'll react and you can just trust your instincts. It's, it's solely instincts. Um, it feels like you're working a lot from, uh, you're very intuitive. It sounds like you're working from the subconscious part of your brain a lot more, mm. um, and you're, you're you're kind of letting things come to you very much. So, I mean, in in regards to, to learning skills, like there's also a certain. You seem like a person that's very addicted to growth. Mm. You know, like very much you're very much a builder um, mm. in everything that you do, yep. and especially when you when you learn new skills. There's that. There's that. You show up day one and like you're terrible. Like you're terrible. Everyone knows it. Like you're yeah. terrible. That's your first day. It's all good, yeah. but you're terrible. But then on day, you know, three through 10 through 30, rapid growth, right? Mm-hmm. The And it's law of diminishing returns from there. Um, do you ever feel like within yourself, you've explored so many avenues and now you're just kind of like continuing to search for, like you said, surfing or something like that? Yep. Like how do you, do you just go out and try to find things to suck at? Like, you it, know, it just emerges like through you know I'm, I'm very fortunate in life like I get to have a lot of different experiences and um, I'm just you know I think it's a combination of like adventure and curiosity sure and I love finding something I'm I don't know want to use the word obsessive but like when I want to solve a problem like I can't stop thinking about it and you know I have pretty minimal professional schooling but like as I think about business modeling and finance and how to raise investment rounds and how to build out stores efficiently and how to build a leadership team and like all these things used to be, I was at level one at, right? <laughs> and I would constantly just seek out mentors and ask, you know, I had no qualms about asking like stupid questions and just getting people to explain it to me like from scratch. And uh, I think a lot of people let their ego get in the way of learning because they have to be like, especially as a CEO, you expect like, oh, I need to like carry myself in a certain way, but you, like, <laughs> when you're just real and you just find the people that have done it before and want to learn, like genuinely learn from them, people help you all day long. Yeah. And that's, that's for me how I think one, one reason we've grown as quickly as we have is we've had amazing mentors and advisors along the way, but it, we wouldn't have had that if I wasn't out there seeking them. Right. Right. And asking questions and getting really curious about like, Oh, is there a better way to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I used to think building a store, like when we had one clinic in Toronto, it was a basically like a two bedroom, a condo above a barbershop yeah. and we like painted the walls black and we got these hundred dollar tables from Chinatown and I was like okay so I guess to open another location we probably need like 10k 15k <laughs> right now we spend like five six seven hundred k on a new build yeah. out yeah but like th- that four years ago I used to think a new location was like you know a fifteen thousand dollar thing yeah right no. so it just like it, it as you mature in whatever your path is like yeah you get to learn so much. I think that's like the joy of a career and a joy of like, especially now there's just so many neat experiences I'm exposed to. And then there's always those like two or three things like I want to learn more about that. And then I go down the path and I, you know, try as much as I can to become an expert on that. Right. Right now I'm working, you know, currently a lot of my time is taken up with like real estate negotiations, construction, store development, and that stuff and architecture, which I love. Um, but I never had any aptitude for it or acumen. I just, something I got exposed to. I'm like, okay, I'm curious. How do we make this better? This is cool. Yeah. Let's yeah. go down this path. Yeah. As I'm researching over the past couple of days and, and <clears throat> just through my experience, 
I'm trying to find a time in your trajectory and your history. I'm like, hey, where was the point? There was a point here. There's a point somewhere mm. where Scott kind of came into his own. Mm. There was a point somewhere where something broke and there was an issue or there was mass, massive growth somewhere. Like, mm. where the fuck was the point? I couldn't find it. <laughs> I couldn't find it. I was like, where, Dude, did, where did this guy break? It's been a slow burn. but That's um, <laughs> what it seems like. Look, I got really into personal development when I was like 16, 17, yeah. and it was in that search for, after my mom died, it was like, why did this happen? Yeah. Right, and then just went down all this path. And so I was really into like self-help for like four or five years before realizing it was like all complete bullshit and just makes you, <laughs> makes you feel insufficient so you buy more books. But, yes, yes. Um, but from that, um, I ended up getting a job with like a Hong Kong company when I was like 22, 23. And I was actually able to move over to Europe. And so for a period of time when I was 23, I was living in Finland and Sweden. And that was the first time I'd actually been out of Canada or the US. Wow. So I took this job. Um, so maybe quick backstory, personal training, managing gyms, finishing up university, did random kind of entrepreneurial stuff like internet marketing, building websites, um, but just never, you know, there's no real business behind it. It was kind of just arbitrage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Finished university, got to Toronto, worked in a gym for a year, and I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is not a career. I was looking around the gym, like, damn, this guy's 37, this guy's 41. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this for another 20 years. And at the time, I actually read Principles by Ray Dalio. And this is before it got cool. That, that actually used to be my recommendation because really? it used to be just a PDF wow. on Google for like eight, nine years. And then he came out with a book last year, and I was like, fuck, that was like my one book I always told people, like, dude, People would be like, oh, what's, what's your favorite book? I'm like, it's not a book, it's a PDF. You gotta go like Google this, read this. <laughs> so I'm still looking for my next recommendation. But um, So I, I end up getting this job and I'm like, all right, I'm ready, let's dive in. And I've never been outside of North America before. I kind of get an understanding for the job. It was more, um, it's kind of like economic reporting. So we're going to interview sure. CEOs and executives and basically put together reports that got sent back to Chinese business leaders and It was so left field for me like I had no experience I kind of like went through the whole interview Process which is super intense and they're like, oh, so you've traveled a bunch. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been all over and uh, You know, I shouldn't have been in that job Everyone in that job was like 10 years older than me way more experienced But because I was a great salesperson like I just like you communicated your way. Into yeah, it. yeah got into it yeah. and next thing I know I I land in Helsinki in the airport on like a cold January day. And I don't know if you've been to Europe, but when you yeah. uh, make a phone call, it kind of sounds like our busy signal here, yeah. like the, the ringtone. So I'm like all disheveled from the flight and I know I just have to get to my, my condo. And I remember like picking up the phone and calling the girl that was supposed to like give me the directions to the condo. And I keep picking up and it's busy. And I'm like, fuck. So I like called her probably 20 times over a period of 30 minutes. And finally she picks up and she's like, why do you keep calling me? <laughs> it turns out I was just like totally yeah. out of the loop on what happens in Europe. Yeah. Um, so, but there I was, I, you know, 23 years old, dropped in the middle of Europe and I was supposed to live there for, you know, basically three month project stints. And that was like, a masterclass in like, holy fuck, I got to move fast to like keep up with everyone around me. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, within two weeks, I'm sitting in these boardrooms, you know, I had a project leader, um, you know, another team member that I was kind of in training for that first three month project. And I was just watching my team leader have conversations with like the CEO of Rovio, when at the time, like Angry Birds was like the thing. 
And we got to sit there for an hour and a half and he just talked about how he built his company, how he thinks wow. about the market. So that whole, my whole job, like that was the number one turning point for me. That job basically two to three times a day for months, I got to sit in front of some of the top like CEOs and executives in Scandinavia and just hear them talk about their business. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember I had one company I left and it was this like really quiet, friendly, humble guy like balding with glasses and he was like the, the the nicest guy and i just remember leaving that meeting and i'm like holy shit ceos are just people whoa huge right? revelation it, but it was because yeah. like i grew up like just outside of london ontario like basically on you know no real exposure to, to business like my dad was really blue collar and did well in real estate and mortgages but like there was no no business exposure i ever had right especially on the highest level oh totally yeah. and then all of a sudden i'm i'm able to sit in these boardrooms and i'm just like observing and observing and observing and i'm slowly putting the puzzle together in my mind of how you build a company in a sense and just hearing these guys stories over and over and this is before podcasting got big and yeah, yeah. so but it was so authentic you know one day i'm sitting with the CEO of Kusakowski, which is um, the largest metal recycler in Scandinavia. Okay. And they do well over a billion dollars a year in revenue. Wow. And he's sitting there being like, this is how I see the market changing the next 10 years. Here's how China is impacting my business, all this stuff. And it just gave me a really interesting, I'd say global perspective on business. Mm. So from that job, I ended up working for an Estonian telecom company. That's random as hell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you know I was a certified fiber optic installer? I actually did know that. I actually yeah. have that written down here. And I was like, hmm, how should I introduce him? Should I introduce him as this? Because that's still on your LinkedIn, by the way. I mean, I'm proud of it. I love I it. Worked that's for that hilarious. One. So I met this guy that became an incredible mentor to me. Um, and where's Estonia for, for context purposes? It's just here? south of Finland. You yeah. take like a two hour ferry. Right. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful country. So if you ever go. One of the best places in Europe. Like, yeah. Yeah. Tallinn is the. Uh, okay. It's this, they've got this really beautiful old town and it's, it's just a, a really stunning country to walk around. What's the population of Estonia? Uh, I'm not sure. I think so. Finland's like, 5.2 or 5.3 million. I think Estonia is somewhere in like 1.5. Yeah. It's tiny. Yeah. But you've got Lat, um, uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, like all the Baltic countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met this incredible Estonian entrepreneur who had built a telecom business from his kitchen table. Wow. Um, this was after like, you know, it, there was always so much repression in Estonia. So he grew up under, you know, in the USSR, yeah. um, and he just through very many coincidences, he actually had just married a Canadian woman and was moving to Toronto. Wow. So when he, you know, we started getting to know each other, he took such a liking to me and really was like asking me all these things about Canada. And we ended up building like a great relationship while I was over there. Mm. And he takes me out for lunch one day and he sits me down and he goes, so Scott, how do you feel about telecom hardware? And I have this blank look. I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know what it is. Right. And he's like, um, and this at the time, uh, so long story with that, that job that I had um, with the Hong Kong company, I like totally sucked at it. And like really? oh my gosh. four and a half, five months into it, I ended up getting fired. I was like, fuck. So luckily I had already <laughs> built this relationship. That's, that's another story, but I still have a journal entry from the night I got fired. Cause I got totally blindsided. I thought I was doing great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the managing director of the company called me over Skype while I'm like writing up this report. And he's like, listen, you know, it's not working out. So we're sending you home in three days. So I'm like living my dream life in Europe. And all of a sudden, like three days later, I'm like back in my dad's basement in London, Ontario with like no income. Jesus. And I was like 24 years old. Brutal. And I, I, but I remember the night that that happened, I went to sleep and I woke up at like 3.30, 3.45 in the morning. And like, I felt like my body was on fire. 
And I was just so like furious in a sense. And I remember I have a journal entry from that night that I look back at every six months or so. And it just like, no one will ever pay me what I'm worth. And that was basically like the turning point where I'm like, fuck it. Like I will not be an employee again. And I just hated how someone else like controlled my destiny in a sense. Mm-hmm. And they could just turn it off like that, even though I was trying my best. And it, you know, I took a lot from that experience. So back to adversity, giving you a better sense of self, that was a huge turning point for me. Wow. So from there, I was able to um, work with a Estonian entrepreneur that was like, listen, so he built like a $50 million a year company all across Scandinavia. And he's like, I wanna expand it to Canada and I want you to help me. I'm like, cool. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. And the reason I did that, there was lots of other jobs I could have gone and got, but I really want to learn how to build something. And this guy was like the first real entrepreneur that I had actually been able to like spend significant time with. Mm-hmm. So we worked out a deal. I became the director of sales for all of Canada and was basically, especially for the first three to four months, was really bridging a lot of the uh, European suppliers into Canada. Mm-hmm. So I opened up accounts with like Bell, Rogers, Telus, City of Toronto, Metrolinx, um, Sales is like Big my contracts. Thing. Yeah. And we are able to really grow that company like within the first year, like over, well over a million in sales and then wow. continue to increase far beyond that. Um, so that, that was a fun experience. But my first day of that job was like sitting in his unfinished basement in Leaside in Toronto. He just bought this new house when he moved over and he's like, all right. And like that day we like incorporated the company. He sent me to the trademark lawyer's office. Wow. And he's like, make sure you file these. Let me know how, you know, all this. And it's just like, it was just an in the trenches. Like I was wearing every hat. I was a sales guy. I was like in the warehouse trying to like figure out how we're storing fiber optic cables. I was selling. What I liked about him is he pushed me to just go sell. And I remember I called this guy. How much do you know about fiber optics? Nothing. All right. So the the, zero, (laughs) the basic, the basic premise is, you know, it's it's glass and it transmits light, which energy, um, one of the challenges is like, how do you merge all these cables together? Right. So there's this machine called a fusion splicer. It's like a 15 K box. Okay. And it basically, you put two pieces of fiber in it. It'll like meld it together. Okay. But as you can imagine, because fiber is so tiny, it's, it's a very like intricate art. Okay. So one of the first products we brought in from Europe was these fusion splicers because Canada at the time didn't have like a ton of tech. And he tells me like, you know, we got to start making sales, like start hitting the phones. And I had no fucking clue what, what this was. thing was. Yeah. And he's like, it's a fusion splicer. I'm like, all right, cool. Takes two signals. So I remember my very first like customer call I called and this thing was like, it's a pretty basic machine. Once you learn the industry, it's a pretty basic machine and it's yeah. got like one motor and like one heater and it's like straightforward. So I remember my first customer call, I called and I'm like, hey, you know, calling from XYZ company and, you know, we're bringing in this great fusion splicer from Europe. It's used by Ericsson and blah, blah. And he's like, oh, cool. Like what's, you know, how many heaters does it have? And I'm like, I got to check the spec sheet. I'm going to email you the spec sheet. What's yeah. your, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's but that's, that's how I've always learned. Like, I just like, I have no fear to like jump into situations even when I will crash and burn. Yeah. Um, but what, you know, something I took away from that experience is <clears throat> I would work my ass off 10 to 12 hours a day and I would go home at night and for like two to three hours every night and on the weekends, I would study physics and like light transmission and start to like understand like how does fiber optics work right. at the deepest level. And then, you know, as you saw on my LinkedIn, within six months, I became like a certified fiber optic installer. I was out in the fields, like troubleshooting with Roger's techs so right. that I could like push through these big orders with Roger and like the techs, the tech, uh, field team would send back like, oh, we love these machines and the support's amazing. So 
So it was just like a wild experience. And it was, I love that job. And I was a, a couple years into that when I actually met Vin. Mm. And I met Vin because I was a patient of his. Right. Tell that story, mm. please do. Tell, listen, yeah. as a, Vin is a, that guy should be verified. That guy's a freaking like, that guy yeah, is a, a public figure, yeah. um, a character. He's one of Canada's finest. Like he's just, I don't, I, he is one of one. He is, there's no identity. He, he is, is created an, an identity. Can you t- please, please, I know the backstory, but let's fill, let's fill everybody in on how that came cool. to be. And then what the hell, what was it like specifically about Vin that made you want to go? So, where to begin? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so at the time, um, when I was working at that telecom company, um, I was big in like Olympic weightlifting. I ended up having a pretty bad back injury. Right. So I was having chronic pain for a year and a half, two years. I was seeing a ton of therapists. And because of my personal training history, I, I really under, like, as you can tell, I love learning. So of course, loved anatomy, loved learning about that stuff. So I would see therapists. And I would also enjoy just hearing how they thought about treating my back or Body, treating a hip yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a mutual friend. I, I was still just not getting out of pain. And finally I had a mutual friend said, dude, you gotta meet this Vietnamese guy. He's like the fucking best. He just fixed my shoulder. And I'm like, cool. So I, he like sends me the number at 11 at night and I text Vin around midnight. And I remember he texts right back. And he's like, oh yeah, dude, I got, you know, I can see you tomorrow at one. I'm like, yeah. sweet. Like, like, is this guy a physiotherapist? Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I, I've, a, I've never texted a physio before to like book an appointment. You always yeah. like call into the receptionist and stuff. But I'm like, cool. So I show up and the building it's like a work live townhome and it's a barber shop yeah. and it was like in the cut and i was like this is like i thought was it was like a clinic town, here townhome it was a townhome yeah it was like a work live townhome oh my gosh and so it's a barber shop on the main floor and i was texting him i was like yo you here he's like yeah i'm coming down I'm coming down it's like all there's no lights on the door's locked what time is <laughs> so that? it's like one o'clock p.m and vin's way better now like this we stay in the airbnb in a van here obviously we we uh <laughs> We, you know, both of us woke up at like six this morning, but at that time, like that dude would not sleep till like six in the morning. Right. So then he would wake up at like noon or one or two. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like 1 p.m. and he like opens the door and he's a few minutes late for his appointment and he's like wearing a backwards hat and he's got like a sugar-free Red Bull in his hand and <laughs> he like looks bad. Like he looks like, like tired. He look good. And uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, what's up, man? And he's like, he was wearing like Jordan flip flops at the time. And we, <laughs> so then he like walks to this barber shop. He's like, yeah, we're going to go upstairs, go upstairs. And he starts walking up the stairs and he's like limping. And I was like, dude, like what, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I just bought, like I had these new Jordans and they're so fresh. They actually cut my ankle and it got infected. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like that, that was a sign of things to come. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we got a treatment room and he starts doing his magic and it like, great session and I started coming back every week and I you know that was he had just opened the doors that thing it was him and like one other therapist and then he had a business partner that was a massage therapist that was supposed to be like the stability to his chaos and which ended up being you which ended up being me so there was no real intentions to like work together but like I just started coming every week and I'm just curious so I started asking like how's the business going like what's going on and he's like oh I'm trying to do this trying to do this and I was like cool and then like next week, I'm like, how are you doing with that? And then he's like, can you like take my business partner for coffee? Like, I just feel like she needs like some help. And you seem like you really got this shit on like lock. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, all right, cool. Like I'll talk to her more because I was just curious about the yeah, business. Yeah. Um, so long story short, like we went through this process where like I was trying to coach her and then he wanted me to come on as a consultant. And then it got to the point where like I couldn't work with her. So I'm like, dude, do you mind if I just like buy her out? So 
I ended up like buying her out. But even at the time it was like, there was, it was supposed to be like one clinic. And if I made an extra like 20, 30 K a year from like helping support the chaos. And I was like, that's sick. Um, but it just started rolling yeah. and social start, like when I met Vinny, he had like 2000 followers. Right. Yeah. And then he got up like 5,000 and like leads were coming in like crazy, but it was like two therapists. It's right. And then it just, it started to go. Yeah. But it's been very much a case of like, we just, kept going back to like, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And then all of a sudden we got this like giant team and like, you know, 200 op- employees yeah, opened and- in the U S and like, it's, it's just been a really organic journey. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, what I hope to maintain over the next five years is like really that authenticity. And like, we just have never had to sacrifice any of our values to like get to where we are. Mm-hmm. And that's been the fun thing. It's just through like work ethic and like doing a lot of crazy shit. Like we, we've been able to really differentiate the brand in the space and like, you know, because of Instagram, uh, it's open doors for us that won't ever be open again. So right. I, it's, it's very, to me, it's very much a case of like, if we don't do this, no one will right. like so many stars aligned to get us to where we are even now that I don't think can be replicated. Right. Right. And I think a business, a business being built from pure passion versus, you know, in a very incredibly smart person with resources coming out of business school and sitting down and saying like, you know, what would a good business look like? They wouldn't build what we built. Of course. Ours was just this like chaotic journey and it turned into what looks like it's going to become more of a beautiful butterfly. But like, dude, it was, it was an ugly baby for a few years. And like, <laughs> we, cause we had no idea what the hell we were doing right. and didn't know the industry, didn't know what we were building. Like, what are we trying to do? Mm-hmm. Like we always had that like core ethos of like, you What's know, the point? heal the world. Like that was, that was like, you know, Vin's big MO, like the, when I first met him, he's like, yeah, man, I'm trying to like change this industry. Like I'm, I want to heal the world. Bro like, said cool. it just like that too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, but you're like in this little barbershop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, how are you going to do that? But that was it. So like we kept the kernel of that and then yeah. it just kept like yeah. progressing. Moving and moving and moving. What was it about, actually, hold on, let's yeah. go to this direction instead. You're going to die one day. Yep. And you're going to look back on it and say, Say say you stay with Milo your entire life, or say say a bus hits you, God forbid, knock on wood, in six years, and mm-hmm. you've been building Milo, and right before you're laying on your deathbed, and you're like, well, like, well, what did I do? I built an amazing physiotherapy clinic, mm-hmm. um, and opened a hundred locations, and we use it as a personal development tool for these people. Um, I didn't like invent the solar cell. I didn't like bring people to Mars. Like you seem like someone is so big picture, so Mm. macro, so context is everything. We need to understand the world and what are our problems and then tackle those fucking things. That it seems like you just going on this path of like building people through physiotherapy companies because that's what it sounds like you're Mm. doing where it's like you're you're building monsters through, you know, use monsters in a good way Mm. um, through this startup incubator or whatever it is, are you going to be happy with that at the end of the day? Like what's your next company and how are you going to reflect on this? Is this enough for you? Like how do you contextualize this whole thing? It's enough. It's (laughs) like, I think about it as like, Hey, I I think about death a lot just because of what happened with my mom. It was so sudden. So I think it like implanted something in me. Like time is on borrowed. It's all borrowed. And you know, I always think about, you know, where my regrets lie and mm. I have zero regrets. Like yeah. I'm living, like I fucking love my life. Yeah. There's, there's nobody else's life I would rather live. I, I can't think of a single celebrity, like anyone in the world. Like I'm just so settled with like 
my life and like the people in my life and mm. I you know up until two years ago I probably wouldn't have been able to say that but like just a lot oh. of the inner work I've been able to do of just like you know getting to a point where I'm just like accepting everything that that is mm-hmm. so then it comes back to like like I have been able to I think create probably far more impact already than a lot of people are, you know are able to and oh absolutely that's not the question for sure like you know yeah so i think there's this like grasping of wanting to do more and like you're always gonna have that like egoic like oh we want to change the world all that shit but like i'm actually i'm just such a minimalist and i think a lot of uh something i think a lot about right now is like think about the technology explosion with ai and like think of how in a sense healthier the world would be if technology had never happened right and i think forward progression is not always the right answer so for me i think the next five years actually a lot of like grappling with some of these philosophical questions of like how much do i want to lean into that because clearly i like i have the skills and aptitude and like i i can figure it out and i can rally resources and i can rally people and we can go on another mission for you know my next company and and do something great but i just i'm such a minimalist and like more in grassroots and like i'm fucking happiest standing barefoot in a forest and just like <laughs> hanging out like yeah. life is good you know yeah. so yeah. i i want to try to balance like enjoying the journey versus like i think in my younger years i would always goal plan like five ten years out of course and i don't even set goals anymore because i just i'm so much happier not setting goals and it's so counterintuitive where i think a lot of people preach like you need to be focused and have these goals and all that stuff but I just to me, it's like a recipe for unhappiness. Right. So, so if you don't have goals, this is so counterintuitive to everything that a lot of people say. Right. If you don't have goals, how do you maintain focus and discipline? Because for a lot of people, it's like, no, no, no. This is okay. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm reverse engineering because I'm reverse engineering. Like the Kobe approach. Like I'm trying to be the best basketball player in the world. So right. I need to work out three times a day. If I'm working out three times a day, my workouts need to be varied this way. And this is how I stay focused. And structure leads to creativity. And rigid, You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've gone down that path, obviously. Dude, I, I lived that for a long time. <laughs> and I just like, I compare and contrast, you know, what happens when I just like let everything go. Right. And I'm like way happier, way more effective leader we tend to move a lot faster because I can bend versus saying like, this is the way it needs to be done. Totally. Um, so I think like the discipline and focus, that's just who I am. Like that's like so ingrained in me. So it's going to happen. You've got it. Yeah. It's there. And it's like, I love, like I love like leading by instinct, I would say. And I just like, I just trust in my faculties. Like we're going to get there. And even if every single fucking person on the team left to like, you know, tomorrow, I'm like, I will still get there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But it's just, I think there's this like level of like, do you force your way there or do you really like get there in the right time? Yeah. And I think goal setting, ah, dude, people are just delusional with like what they think is possible in like a year and five years and 10 years. And it's just like, if I'm going to be working in business, like I've got 30, 40, 50 years potentially left and like, it's a lot of time to create a lot of impact. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. Right. And the van- it's very hard having that vantage when you're in your 20s or 30s thinking about like, you know, wanting to get everything done tomorrow. Um, one of the biggest things that helped me was actually turning 30, mm-hmm. you know, recently. And it's just like, I think getting into like 27, 20, 29, you feel this urgency like, fuck, I want to like, get everything done by the time I'm 30. And then like you hit 30 and you're like, oh, wait a minute. We got lots of time. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a, it's a hundred year game. Yeah. So I have a mentor of mine. Uh, he's the most influential person in my life at this point, I think. He uh, used to own all the Starbucks in Hawaii, okay. and he's an incredible business person. He's in his mid-50s, and 
earlier, uh, last month I was out there in Hawaii spending some time with him in his house and we're having dinner, like amazing steak dinner, wine, like organic salad. It was like amazing. just this very special night. And I had this like Hawaiian sunset Beautiful. and we we're talking about age and talking about like, you know, what is the best years? And he took me through his whole history and like, you know, he's like your twenties, you're still really trying to figure yourself out. And there's so much instability. And even in your thirties, you have to make these big decisions of like, do I have kids? Do I get married? You know, where am I settling down all this stuff? But he's like, he's like my forties and fifties have been by far the happiest years of my life. And it just gets better. As long as you have your health, Mm -hmm. every year you live will get better and better and better because you start to like settle in who you are. You start to really settle in. Like this is my life path. And I took that to heart and it's just, Mm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying being 30 because I'm not going to be 30 again. Right. And then when I'm 31, I'm going to enjoy being 31. And yeah. I, I think especially compared to like earlier when we started the company, I was so anxious about like building this thing into whatever it was to be like tomorrow. Now I'm like, if it takes me another five to 10 years to like get it to its full potential, then it's going to be time well spent. And I'm having a blast along the way. Like, you know, this morning woke up, got to, do a sick hike in Vancouver with like my whole team from like all four corners. Like, you know, very cool. It's just, I'm having fun. Yeah. So, and on top of that, like I really feel like we're contributing a lot of positive to the community. Absolutely. Right. Like we just did a really cool, uh, community trip to Nigeria. Yeah. Um, we're queuing something up for Jamaica as well. And like, how do we actually like influence healthcare in third world countries? And that's Mm -hmm. like a bigger goal of mine is like, we can have incremental progress here, but at the end of the day, like if you hurt your knee, there's a ton of great clinics here. There's a ton of great therapists. So in North America, I feel like we can shift the needle and really make it a better experience, but it's incremental change, mm-hmm. right? But if you take something, I was talking to a friend the other day about uh, Tajikistan, 9 million people, not I'm a- sorry, s- where hold up? Where? Uh, where was that country? Tajikistan, it's beside Afghanistan. Okay, excuse, so, me. excuse my ignorance. High religious oppression, Okay. 9 million people, huge underserved access to healthcare. Okay. They don't have a single physical therapist in the entire country. Okay. Things like that. As an example is like, we, we live in this like bubble in North America where we take everything for granted and think, you know, every, just, everything is right, right down the street from us, essentially. Um, Lagos in Nigeria is another great example. Like it's a city of millions and millions and millions of people. And there's like less than a hundred physical therapists there. Wow. Right? One of the fastest growing cities in the world. Um, I've spoken with like the Ministry of Health in uh, Tanzania and Rwanda previously. And like some people just to get to a hospital, they have to walk like over an hour and a half to get to the closest like rural hospital. Yeah. Right. So there's just so much preventable, especially um, children when they have some sort of injury or sprain and they don't get that rehab properly mm-hmm. that can kill them over time in Africa. Yeah. Right. So what excites me in like the team that we're, gr- we're building is like everyone's so passionate about using our skill sets and our talents and resources to like fix that. Mm-hmm. And that excites me. So, so back to your point of like, yeah, we're building a physiotherapy company at the end of the day. But I think there's so many more things that follow from that. Mm-hmm. And we're really building the foundation, which will let us drive much bigger change globally. Mm-hmm. I, I know. I definitely agree. You have a bigger bandwidth uh, globally. You can have bigger impact with, with um, less effort. Dude, mm-hmm. the thing about this is like, it is so almost impossible for an individual to change the world but from a corporation and from a group of people coming together um that's that's how you can really shift things quickly absolutely i couldn't agree more like and that's that's the reason why i'm in business and not in politics is 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 that exact reason we can we can move disruption quicker and innovation quicker Mm -hmm. um and and at the end of the day now and today in 2019 it's about speed 
it's about speed. Speed is a huge part of the um, uh, piece of the puzzle here. Yep. You are doing so many things. You have, we didn't even talk about, uh, was it collar clothing? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, whole nother, whole nother uh, bag there. Um, it seems as if you are, you're very at one with who you are and all this type of stuff and, and letting things come to you. One of my questions for you was going to be, and now I want to pivot a little bit, was going to be, it seems as if a person of your stature or of your um, experience mm. um, is very much um, rigid in a ambition narrative, meaning that you, you are pushing freedom and malleability and flexibility in everything that you do. However, you're still going down this, you know, like you said, it's a heavy fucking load. It's mm. going to continue to be a heavy load for a long time. Do you ever think, oh shit, am I just stuck in this narrative? Is this just like what I'm telling myself or is this, is this my life's purpose or is this just, is, am I serving myself in this whole thing? These are questions mm. that I ask myself all the time of like, okay, well, why? What's the why? What's mm. the why? What's the why? What's the why? And, and you start to dig, 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 dig. And, and a lot of times for me, at least it's been, well, you're doing this because this is a narrative that you're building for yourself mm-hmm. that you want to listen to. That's a story that you want to read. Do you, does any of that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, I think those are the questions everyone has to grapple with. Um, to me, like it always goes back to like when I, when I really think about like what my mission is for life, you know, sure. I don't want this to go too philosophical, but like when I, when I've really drilled down of like, why do I do anything? It's actually just to like inspire people to be their best selves. Right. And if there's a vehicle to do that, and that's why I actually like I've made some other recent investments, like doing angel investing. And like, I love supporting founders and entrepreneurs, but like really getting the trenches with them and like helping them like build a company yeah. and like getting them out of their own way in certain ways. Mm. Um, but to me, like when I look at my detox, like it's a vehicle to fulfill exactly what I just said. Like we're, we're inspiring people to live their best lives, both through a personal development lens internal to the company, but also what we allow our clients to do, right? You come in to get your knees worked on because you want to do what you want to do, which is play ball and do whatever, sports whatever. and high impact activity, right? So to me, it's like, yes, I'm ambitious, but like I, I'm very thoughtful. Like I can step off this path whenever I choose to. I just, what else would I do? I got to do something with my time, <laughs> right? Being in a forest. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a time and a place and, you know, 10, 15 years from now, that, that may be it. But it's, uh, it's not ambition for the sake of like, you know, getting somewhere in money. Like, dude, let me, let me tell you my R8 story. Okay. So I don't know, but what's your dream car? A Tesla. Why? Because it's electric. It's the future. Cool. Yeah. It's very thoughtful and reasonable of you. So my whole life, like ever since I saw Iron Man, I was like, fuck, I want an R8. <laughs> of course. Like that's, that's like the car I want. Me too, until I heard about Elon. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I've had been able to like be passenger in various cars and stuff. But earlier this year, a friend of mine that I'm helping out gave me, um, for context, my dad was flying down to LA to visit me and okay. he's a big car guy. He collects like Corvettes and Camaros. Cool. Uh, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to, I'm going to get an R8 for the week and just like nice. take him out to Malibu and like, he's getting older. I want to like have that memory of like, us just Absolutely. crushing down PCH in the morning, like yeah. in Malibu. So I get a crazy R8 from a friend of mine nice. and it's like 2018 V10. It was like 250 K us car. Oof. And the first day I had it, I went to pick my girlfriend up at her office and like it's fun to drive. And then I like, I pulled up to the sidewalk and she walked to the office and we hugged and we both looked at each other and we're like, oh, this felt weird. And like, 
we, we, we never fight. Like we have an incredible relationship and like super emotional, energetic. And that night, like we went for a drive in it for 10 minutes and she's like, take me home. And I like took her home and we, we like, I like parked it outside and we laid in bed that night and we like talked about a documentary she just watched with like um, little girls in Bangladesh. And we both started like crying. Cause we're like, this is just such a fucking waste of money. And I had the car for free. It's like, I had a free supercar. And like that whole week, it was like this reflective of my values of what am I working towards? And, you know, I pull up to a stoplight in LA and there's like three homeless guys sitting here. And, you know, you have 50 cars at the intersection, like looking at you. And I'm just like, fuck. Right. And it's, it comes back to like, I always, always wanted a dream car. And then when I had it, I was like, I'm so glad I don't have this. Right. And that whole week, it, like I ended up getting my memory and like I had a blast driving it and like I got to take my dad out to Malibu and it was like such a great experience. Sure. But at the end of the week, I was so happy to give it back. I was like, damn, I like, I don't need one. Yeah. And so then it comes back to your question around ambition. And it's like, what do I need in life? Like I live two minutes from the beach in Santa Monica. I love it. I don't drive. I don't have a car. So it's like, it's not ambition for money's sake. Cause I don't need money. Right. So then it's like, why are you doing what you're doing? Like I'm doing it for my team. I love watching the team grow and I love everyone just like every couple months I look back and I'm like, fuck, people just growing into like these amazing leaders and managers and whether they stay with us for, you know, one year, five years, 10 years, like they're going to go on and create great impact in the world. So to me, it's, you know, I, I just want to keep doing what I enjoy and what challenges me and like what I can keep learning for. But when you do that from a place of, you're not chasing anything. You're not trying to get to these goals. You're not trying to buy a mansion or get an R8. Like it's, it's such a healthier, enjoyable place to be at. Mm. And, you know, I, I just think this, especially this last year has been the first year when I've actually stopped asking why as much and more just been like, just really enjoying it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, Med- it's been an interesting journey. Probably helps. Yeah. Yeah. That's meditating from that early on. Jeez. That's powerful. How do you have this sustained energy, dude? Like this is crazy. This is crazy. Like I see your life, bro. Like this is crazy. I'm I'm huge on this whole like sustainable energy and uh, be cognizant throughout the day, yeah. et cetera. What? How? Sleep? Water? Food? Tell um, me how. I need to know. These are keys. <laughs> I mean, I when I'm traveling, I'm on the road. Then I sleep a little bit less. But when I'm in LA, LA like I'll sleep eight to nine hours a night. Yeah. I read a lot. I just. I don't fucking waste time. Like if I, if I'm not on Instagram, for example, like I'll download Instagram and I'll post mm-hmm. comment for an hour and then I'll actually delete Instagram off my phone. Like I don't have a browser on my phone. You don't have a browser on your phone. No. No. What? So I disable it because like back to my psychology training, like technology is so addictive. And I, I think the competitive advantage over the next decade becomes your ability to focus. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you focus on one thing, get over the finish line? Can you move to the next thing, do that? Right. And people are just so scattered. And I, you can watch. Like, Don't listen to what people say, but just watch people work. Mm-hmm. If you just sit there for a couple hours and just like watch the average office work, like there's no capacity for deep thinking. And it's so superficial. And that's what burns energy, I think. Like, energy is just like... If you can focus on the things that like bring you energy and don't burn energy. It's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I love to sleep. I eat very healthy. 
try to move a lot, try to get lots of sunshine. And also as the team's growing, I'm getting very good at like getting stuff off my plate onto the team. So I have space to think. Um, But ultimately, like when I look at how most people spend their time, like if you wake up first thing in the morning and you roll over and like sleepily, like you're looking at your phone and Instagram feed and all that stuff, like you've, you've just like fucked your whole day up, right? You're so impressionable when you first wake up, when you start to think about like subconscious inputs. So for me, like airplane mode at 9 p.m., first hour of the day, I don't really look at my phone. I'm just like going about my day. Um, so it's just like a very intentional use of my time. And uh, something my girlfriend and I both do on uh, one weekend day, we shut our phones off the whole day. Yeah, right. That's 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 hard to believe. I mean, like, like that's, a, that's huge. That's, that's yeah. like, that's, that's like cutting off your bloodstream for a day. You know, like in, in, in 2019, that is just the most like ridiculous thing, but it's just like so necessary contrast is so, oh yeah, shit, this is what real life is again. That's crazy. Wow, this was cool. We yeah. should hang out here more. Yeah. Um, it's like, you're so impressionable, like you said, when you when you first wake up, the, the dopamine hits that you get, right, you know, as you hit, as you scroll, as you like, those images that are coming into your brain. I mean, the average, like... <sighs> When we on Instagram, we on average go through 150 images. Dude, it is. We're not meant to go through 150 images. No, like it's, it's I'll call it neuro addictive. Like, mm. what I have come to realize is like people that build tech are far smarter than you or I. Absolutely. Like they have they have thought long and hard about how do you create sticky products. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting book called Hooked by Nir Eyal. I think I his name is. Okay. Um, and it's all about how you create habit forming technology. Mm. So there's like neuroscientists that spend all their time, money resources to think about like how do you make tech more habit forming Mm. so what i've come to understand is like i can't fight that if i have my phone on and i have instagram like if i have a spare second like i'm there i'm flipping like it's it becomes this like automaticity of habit that that then starts to like wreck you (laughs) right (laughs) and so it's kind of playing both games realizing like you're not going to escape it tech is here you have to play within the game a little bit but like I never want to pass the threshold in which I feel like I have no control over it. And what airplane moding and just like tuning out helps me do is like, A, have that self-awareness to be like, what's going on with the business? Um, but B, just like pay attention to my body. Like, do I, need, do I need to sleep more tonight, right? Do I need to just get out and go for a walk so I can think about something? And it's, it's the easiest way to like burn yourself into oblivion by like distracting yourself with safari and emails and maybe YouTube, yeah. whatever. So I, th- I think one of the great lies of like being a CEO is that like you always have to be on mm. and like you need to be the center of everything. Like mm. to me, like my team is the center of everything and like they are executing and I am there to get roadblocks out of the way and get them the resources they need and give them the focus they need and like make sure that of the million things we can do, like here's the six that we're collectively focusing on. Um, mm. And the only way I can be great at that is if I have time to think about these things. Right, space. So, yeah, space. Um, I could go and go and go. Yeah. Oh, I know we got to wrap up here, but you have a lot of answers, and I know that you you asked your team a lot of questions. Um, I know that there's a, there's a big contrast there. What are today here, September 18th, and in, in in 2019, what are the big questions that you don't have the answer to yet? What are you pondering? What's on the top of your on top of your head when you disconnect for a day? Where does your mind go? Mm. Um, what what haven't you figured out yet? So spare time things I'm thinking a lot about right now is uh, climate change. Mm. Of just how do you 
human nature being what it is, we will not solve this. Right. So how does this all play out? And that, that's like the one thing that's eating at me a lot is like, how do you, how do you, essentially the internet has completely annihilated the ability to govern. And if you think about what happened in the last 20 years, we are more short-term thinking than ever before. We're more divisive than ever before. We have more biases around like what truth is than ever before. So that's, that's kind of the philosophical ideas I like spending a lot of time thinking on right now because it's like a very depressing state to think of like the current path continuing. So I'm thinking a lot about like, how do you actually create more stability in the system? And I think I'm thinking a lot about like structural changes. Like how does one person impact change? How do hundreds of people impact change? How do companies impact change? And I'm actually very interested in just like continuing to explore more around like corporations ability to shift governance. Right. Um, so yeah. that's just like a rabbit hole of things I'm thinking about. But yeah. so that's one. Uh, number two, a topic that I'm really interested in is like emotional trauma, obviously from what I went through, but also from how I've been able to help certain other people on my team uh, get over things. Um, so I'm really interested in neuroscience research around like psychedelics and MDMA and starting to think of like, how do you actually reliably uh, get people through emotional trauma and just stop them from like holding on to their emotional baggage. Right. So those are probably like the two topics that I've like diving into a lot and finding really interesting. Another time, another place, but we should go into those. Those yeah. are, those are both infinitely interesting and, yeah. and, and very much rabbit holes, but very much very, very, very important because they impact how we're, how we're going to move, how we're going to act and how we're going to feel in the future. That, that literally is those two things alone are going to dictate a huge percentage of yeah. our future as a species or as a, as a, as a man or as a woman. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I shouldn't ask this question, but I'm going to, yeah. how does it play out climate? How do you, how, how does it in your mind, you have a very good understanding of mass psychology. Mm. Um, I feel like you're savvy on the uh, corporate side of things and how technologies are moving and what the actual solutions are, what the actual problems are. Mm. How the fuck does it play out? I, like for, for the average listener, <sighs> So this is, if, if we just face facts the way they are, there will, there will be an increasing amount of polarity between the haves and the have-nots. Like having money in the next 10 to 20 years is going to be so critical. And this is what makes me really frustrated with the system and how broken it is, is that the people that will get hardest hit by climate change is like Indonesia is a great example. They're moving their entire capital city of Jakarta to the middle of nowhere because it's now sinking into the ground. Yeah, Bangladesh. Right, yeah, like, yeah. so you know, we're very fortunate in North America that we're actually in this little island, essentially, away from the rest of the world. But the rest of the world is, it's gonna be a really, uh, really challenging to manage the population exodus out of a lot of these areas. Mass migration. So if, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you start to think about like the snowball effect of what happens when at a certain point, you start having huge swaths of people starting to push. You start having food crises. You start having water crises. Water crises. Like we're already, uh, what was I reading? Can't remember the city, but like there's some major cities already in in the world having real water crises. Especially in India is like brutal right now, mm -hmm. and we are so removed from that. And the problem is so much of the the uh, governance is happening in. Western Europe, in U.S., in Russia, in China. So I, 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the U.S. dynamic shifts over the next decade as well and how much they're contributing versus uh, mm -hmm. pulling away from the world stage. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I see the trajectory we're on right now. It does not necessarily have a happy ending. And mm -hmm. I think it starts from the bottom, but it will work up into, you, know, you see popula populism just rising like crazy. You see um, more and more just instability. And I think mm -hmm. we're, you know, in the pessimistic state, like moving into a very unstable point mm -hmm. in political history. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I, you know, I'm an eternal optimist. And I think there is like a real ability for humans to rally and overcome, but I think the existing tech framework and how we consume news and get, get so um, pushed into being sure of things, you know, when another camp is completely sure of, of yeah, this other yeah. thing, it's, it's wild to me. So I'm, you know, the world is complicated for sure. It's a very complex system. It's a very complex yeah. system. I, I think, I mean, you're, you're, you're right in a sense of like, um, you know, water scarcity and, and, and mass migration and food scarcity and climate wars and things of that nature are going to very much affect the bottom 50% of the world, which is most of, I mean, that's, that's the bottom 50% of the world is, is like, you know, 5 billion people or something mm. like that, you know? Um, However, I mean, that stuff also affects it. It affects water systems, essentially. I mean, that's, that's everything. That's the that's thing. Like, at is. a certain point, it will then flip and affect everyone. Absolutely. Right. Like, but it's just a matter of time. Today, today, if a, if a, if a fire breaks out at the top of the valley mm -hmm. and the winds go in the right direction, like the whole valley is fucked. Like Ellie's done, yeah. you know, like uh, Miami Beach, gone. Yeah, parts of Manhattan, some of the most expensive real estate in the world, done yeah. 50 years. So it's like it's, at, at some point, we're going to have to pay attention a lot of people are going to die in the meantime. Mm -hmm. That sucks. Mm -hmm. That sucks. I don't know how we fix that. No, Scott, but again, I, I think there's so many smart people thinking about this, right. but it just, it needs to be, it's, it's going to be a team effort. Right. Yeah. And I just don't think anyone can solve this in a, um, in isolation. And mm. it's interesting to see like some of the other groups trying to tackle this. And I think the next decade is gonna be interesting. Scott, I'm really excited for your next company. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. <laughs> see what I see what it uh, turns out to be. Appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks. Great questions. Thanks, man. Yeah.